Hi, welcome to Design with Purpose, a show created by designers for anyone seeking guidance in the complex world of design. Hosted by myself, Dina Duffick, and my co-host, Colton Bryant. The goal of our show is to explore the ins and outs of interior design through personal experience, credible research, and professional guests. Here you will learn about the current trends and history behind certain design styles, as well as the psychology of well-designed spaces. Thanks for listening to Design with Purpose. Be sure to add us to your library and follow us on Instagram at designwith.purpose. Horst Architects Incorporated was founded in 1990 by Horst Knappenberger and is based in Laguna Beach, California. His practice has evolved into a multidisciplinary group producing work which bridges technology with cultural and environmental awareness. His approach to design affirms the possibility of fulfilling the rigorous requirements of the client while engaging in spirited and robust dialogue with the site. The work of Horst Architects has been published in World Architecture, Ville Gerardini, Vogue, Lux, and Interiors. Recent projects have been featured in the Art and Architecture Home Tour, co-sponsored by the Orange County Museum of Art and the American Institute of Architects. Horst's background includes a BS in architecture from Cal State Polytech University. Horst has been a member of the City of Laguna Beach Design Review Board from 1996 to 2000 and served as the chairman from 1999 to 2000. He's a licensed architect in the state of California since 1990 and a member of the American Institute of Architects since 1998. He founded Horst Architects in Laguna Beach, California in 1989. Welcome, Horst. That was more than a mouthful. We appreciate you joining us on Design with Purpose today. Thank you. It's great to be here. So as an interior designer, I have always admired and respected your body of work. It's really something else. You're somewhat of a local legend, and I don't think this bio really encompasses all of Horst. So I was hoping that we could start off by you telling us a little bit more about you and how you got started in architecture. Yeah, fantastic. I was born in Germany. My father was in the Air Force. He is the son of German immigrants. He grew up in New York. My mother is a German native. We came to California originally in 1969 when my uh, father, we were living in New York at the time, and my father was uh, going to uh, Vietnam. And my mother's sister was living in Palos Verdes. And they conspired, you know, to kind of work together to raise my myself and my two brothers and, and and my cousin while my father was gone. So we were in, found ourselves in California. I was eight, you know, eight years old at the time. The day before my dad left to Vietnam, he he said to my brothers and I, he said, "Hey, before I go, I, I want to take you to this beautiful place that I, you know, I just kind of like stumbled on. It's called Laguna Beach." <laughs> And so my dad, we sat with my dad at Main Beach in 1969. We watched, uh, really saw it like the ocean for one of the first times in my life. And I saw, you know, boys with surfboards and girls in bikinis and just, you know, fell in love with the whole exotic, you know, imagery. Never imagined, you know, coming from such humble, you know, beginnings that I would like one day live here, you know, much less, you know, create architecture, you know, here along the coast. I came back to Laguna 
when I finished architecture school in California, I moved to London and I was playing with the idea of either being an architect or being a musician because I'm a saxophone player. And in the mid 80s in London, there was a lot of music happening. You know, I would make a living by busking in tube stations with you know, musician friends. You know, I made a little bit of money, but I could not find a job in architecture. London in the 80s is so different than London now. So one night I'm kind of like lamenting that I'm not doing any architecture. And so I'm reading this book and I see this beautiful house, you know, and it was modern and it was minimal and it was mid-century. And I said to myself, you know what, if I ever get a job, (laughs) that's the kind of work I want to do. And, you know, in the mid 80s, I didn't have the Internet. So I researched the architect and it just happened that he was based here in Laguna Beach. So I wrote him a letter. He needed somebody. I came out here and interviewed with him. My parents were living in California and I got a job and I was in Laguna Beach again. Wow. You know, like Who was the architect? Fred Briggs. He was one of, you know, these early graduates of USC who became, you know, like case study architects with, you know, Rafael Sariano, Craig Elwood, you know, so many of those beautiful 19 you know, 60s houses and, you know, 50s houses that are still out there. And, you know, Fred was very prolific. He was doing work, you know, pretty much all over the world, designing houses. And probably even more importantly, he created a lifestyle. You know, if you worked with Fred, it was a small office, kind of like my studio. He was like a father to me, you know, he, um, you know, we talk a lot. And so it, it wasn't just about architecture. It was about cultivating a lifestyle around architecture. And, and that was really beautiful, you know, to find myself in, in, in Laguna Beach again with, you know, abundant beauty and also to be working in Fred's office and you know, doing what I loved. That's so serendipitous. What a magical story. Did you always know you wanted to be an architect? Well, it was interesting. You know, I had no idea because neither of my parents finished high school. And so I didn't really have a lot of direction in life, but I knew, I mean, there were things that I was very interested in. But when I was 14, I, in high school, I took a geometry class and, you know, my teacher was very young, very dynamic, and I had a crush on her. And and at the, at the end of the year, um, you know, I've, I visited her in her office and, you know, I, I had made this present for her, you know, I had took this photograph and we used to do these decoupages. We put the photograph on wood and cover it with resin. And, you know, in those days, and I gave it to her and, and she said, well, what are you going to do next year? And I said, I, I have no idea, you know, and she said, well, you know, you're really good in geometry. You should you know, consider architecture. And all of a sudden, like the sky just opened up, you know, and I was thankful she didn't, you know, suggest proctology. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and as I began to, you know, contemplate architecture, I realized that so many of the things that I loved in life were like intersecting in Mm -hmm. architecture. Mm -hmm. I was very much into photography, you know, surf photography and very much into art and science and design and culture and history. And I'm like, wow, all of these things are like embodied in Mm -hmm. architecture. Mm -hmm. I went to a large high school here in California where I was able to take a couple years of architecture classes and just really fell in love with it. And, you know, when I graduated, I applied to Cal Poly Pomona that has a, you know, very well-respected architectural program and just got swept away and just you know, fell in love with architecture. 
I love that. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story, too. I'm, as an interior designer, all through school, I always thought to myself, I'm not so good with math, until I took my first geometry class. I took my first geometry class. I was like, this stuff's easy. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? And then even in hindsight, I was just telling someone the other day that works with me that, you know, even if you look back at algebra and all the other classes that we took, had they just explained to me, hey, figure out the square footage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put it in terms that were relatable to things in real time. You know, then I realized I am really good at math. Yeah, <laughs> really good no, at and solving absolutely. problems. You know, and that's interesting that you should say that because in school, when I was in college, it was like, you know, nine men to every woman that was in the architecture class. Mm -hmm. The notion going around was that, you know, architecture has a lot of mathematics. And then even, you know, further, you know, below that was that women aren't good in math, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 you know, both of those are sort of very false statements. I mean, and we do some, you know, mathematics and architecture, but it's more of intuitive math. You know, women are great in math. And now my daughter's in architecture school. It's pretty much 50-50. You mm -hmm. know, even in some cases, more women than, than men. So. Well, in theory, when you, when you frame it up like that, too, you think women are, are natural problem solvers. Not to even make that a sexist thing at all. But really, it is a lot of just problem solving. That's what we're doing yeah. all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I found as I kind of went through, you know, the journey of becoming an architect, that the most important quality was being able to think visually, being able to, you know, visualize yourself in space, walking through space, and, you know, what that feels like, what it sounds like, what it, sometimes even what it smells like, you know, the, you know, all those all those aspects of the senses, you know, are, you know, part of the overall experience of architecture, much more important to be able to visualize space, you know, than to um, complete a mathematical, you know, yeah, you, equation Yeah, you really of do it. make it sound so yeah. poetic when you talk mm. about it. You just mentioned your daughter being in architecture school. You must feel so proud about that. What is it like to mentor her and to see her kind of following in your footsteps? And was that... Is she doing that on purpose or is it inadvertently or did she just get the gift? Yeah, you know, it caught me by complete surprise because she, when she graduated from Laguna Beach High School, she went to UCLA and she was a communications major. But when Kiara and her brother Paolo, when we were raising them, because, you know, my former spouse is an interior designer and she's from Italy, we would go to Italy, you know, every summer we'd take them to home tours and museums. And, you know, we just absorb them in architecture and design. But then neither of them, you know, initially decided to become an architect. My son is a commercial airline pilot. He loves flying. And then Kiara in her third year at UCLA said, you know, I want to be an architect. And it caught me by complete surprise. But yeah, you know, made me had a great sense of gratification and thankfulness. I was very thankful, very grateful that she, that all of those experiences somehow must have culminated in her desire to be an architect. That's fantastic. Of course, those of us on the outside, you know, I know that your her mother is an excellent designer and you're an excellent architect. So it seems kind of like a no brainer that she would go into the the field. But it really is nice when they have that discovery on their own yes. and realize I'm not just doing this because it's in the family, but this is where I genuinely want to be. Good for her. Yeah, yeah. So she did work in our office a little bit like one summer, you know, before the pandemic. And it was really beautiful to have her 
with me in the office. You know, she's very independent in her thinking. Then after that, she did an internship with um, Stephen Ehrlich in Venice. And, and Stephen is one of my favorite architects. I think he's one of the best architects on the planet practicing. So she was, you know, very inspired working in his office. That's great. So, you know, I mentioned in the intro how much I admire you and our team admires your work. But and so I know your signature style, but for our listeners, what is your signature style that you tailor to fit each client or project? There's a reason that people seek you out. You know, architecture is so much like, you know, being a musician or being an artist. You do it long enough and you explore the different facets of architecture, you begin to find your voice. And, you know, what I found over the years, especially, you know, practicing here in Laguna, that we have such an abundance of nature and color and textures and sunlight and, you know, all these beautiful forces of nature that are, you know, present around us that the architecture can just be very minimal. It can just be so... I'm drawn toward minimalism, you know, architecture that is contemplative and architecture that, you know, invites those forces of nature in through, you know, the, the integration of, of interior and exterior space. Because, you know, we're also blessed with this great climate here where, you know, we can live just as comfortably outdoors as we can indoors. And so how do we, you know, creatively and sort of seamlessly integrate interior and exterior living. Oh, I know. Isn't it so fantastic? As you know, I'm from Texas, and I mean, we get 115 degree days there. So to live somewhere where it can be 72, sunny and beautiful every day, I mean, it really is a blessing. This is like, people just don't even believe it when I try to explain where we live. Yeah, I, I do have a house that, and you and I talked about it a little bit. We have a house in Dallas under construction, and the owner, it's a big house. It's like 20,000 square feet. It's got a a roof on top of the, sorry, a pool on top of the roof. We added a basketball court like during construction. And all of that was relatively easy in Dallas. But the owner hired us because he really wanted kind of a California coastal house, even though the climate, as you've just referenced, is just so different. So we did create a lot of like covered outdoor spaces that would provide an opportunity to kind of be outdoors without, you know, being, you know, in in that really intense heat. We also, you know, provided, you know, this large um, pool on top of the roof that where he can be with his family and his friends and enjoy the water and, you know, all those things. And I've actually, I have to say, you know, I've, I've fallen in love with Dallas. You know, I've oh, met yeah? some really interesting people, people who have, you know, great art collections and who are honest and, you know, engaging. And, and it's been a really interesting journey, you know, going back and forth between, between here and Dallas. Yeah, I love it. I do miss, I miss Texas. That's always going to be home for me and the people. You can't beat the people. Just salt of the earth, honest, down to earth. But the weather here, we have a lot of fun, a, little, a lot of outdoor fun here, so that's hard to give up. I'm curious, that kind of leads me to want to ask you, I know that you have projects all over the country. Where are some of your most interesting projects that you've worked on in your career? Globally, nationally, whatever that looks like. Yeah, and I know they're all like babies, so it's hard to pick your favorites. <laughs> yes, yeah. You know, I have to say, you know, we've designed projects, designed something in Brazil a couple of years ago, you know, that I really fell in love with because it was an opportunity to kind of 
you know, explore the Brazilian culture and the materials, a different type of construction. I've always had a fascination, you know, with Brazil, you know, with the oceans. But honestly, I mean, you know, for me, the the sites that have resonated with me the most are just right here in our backyard. Yeah. I mean, we are so blessed. I know. You know, in Lug- which is most likely what brought you here as yeah, well. Absolutely. We are so, I mean the hillsides, you know, the ocean views. I mean, I'm building my own house right now, um, the very top of uh, Diamond Street off off Crestview. And, you know, my view is along the North Coast. And it's it's a beautiful, like, sacred property where apparently, you know, when the Native Americans, you know, lived here in Laguna, they would take, you know, pregnant women because it was a place of fertility and well-being because that, that valley, you know, where I'm building is just so peaceful. Probably like you, I fall in love with mm-hmm. wherever I happen to be. I, you know, maybe that's part of you know having been an Air Force brat and traveled a lot and lived in different countries and different places. You know, the process of acclimation and finding things in those different places that you know you can make a connection to. You know, I connect with almost every site. I've done projects before, like in urban sites as well. But there's nothing like like working in Laguna. I know, yeah. I know, it's fantastic. You had mentioned working on the project in Brazil that you were learning, you know, about different products and materials, etc. How do you continue to learn and evolve in your field and stay on top of your game? Yeah, it's a really great question. I mean, I I read a lot. I mean, I love literature and often it's not about architecture at all. It's just about, you know, the creative process. But I look at a lot of, you know, images to see what people are doing. I mean, we it's so much easier to do that now than it was 25 years ago. We have so much access to information. But, you know, it's never been enough for me just to look at an image. You know, I always want to get kind of like underneath the image and really understand, you know, the the architect. Like, for example, when we worked on the project in Brazil, I fell in love with the work of uh, Marcio Kogan, and uh, he's a minimalist, has beautiful, beautiful buildings, you know, residential buildings mostly. As I understood him, I understood that his family, you know, they were cinematographers, and he actually comes out of, out of the background. He, he had the background of a cinematographer, and you can see it in his architecture. The proportions of the windows were almost like film, you know, mm. the, you know the, the framing of, mm-hmm. of the of the images, if, if you just took a you know a, a reel of film and just open it up, you can see those proportions that are present in his architecture and, and his the spaces that he creates are very you know very poetic and very um, cinematic, and so it was you know through the understanding of him you know as a creative individual, his family life, his history, his cultural history, that I began to understand more about the architecture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I go to a museum, you know. Looking at the work is just part of it, but really, you know, maybe doing some research and understanding the person and the context, you know, in which the work was created can lead to a a more deeper appreciation of the work. I love that. I agree 100%. And I feel like it's all connected. I think through architecture and design, you really realize and can see, and maybe that's just part of the way we think, but you can see the connectivity in everything. So I love that. What one lesson would you consider your job or career path has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point? Yeah, that I, 
actually get asked that quite a bit. And I've thought about that a lot. And what always comes up for me is, you know, if, if you're a young architect coming out of school, work in an office that does the type of work that resonates with you. You know, I, I know a lot of my friends when they came out of school and they were super talented, you'd hear things like, well, you know, I took this job and, you know, it's not exactly what I want to do, but I'm getting some practical, you know, experience. I try to avoid that as much as I could, you know, growing up. And I, and even when I had my own practice, you know, I tried to focus on the modern architecture that I, you know, that just resonated with me. You know, for example, like when, you know, when Ariana and I first started our practice and we were young parents and, you know, everything seemed a little tenuous. We had a job once that came to us in Crystal Cove and, and somebody wanted us to like replicate a Palladian villa and they were going to pay us like, you know, a lot of money, like a half million dollars. We talked about it, you know, it was almost like the devil on your shoulder saying, yeah, take the money, take the money, <laughs> you know, but we didn't do it. You know, we just really wanted you know, to be authentic, you know, mm -hmm. about our work and, you know, beyond, you know, have intention about it. And, and so I guess my point is, you know, when you discover as a young architect what you want to do, then engage in the relentless pursuit of that, you know, do everything you can do to begin to explore, you know, that area rather than compromising yourself and I think trying to be all things to all people. Great advice. Yeah. And I had to yeah. learn that later yeah. because I did the same thing. I had to learn the hard way. You know, because when you start out, especially having your own business, it's the idea of, well, I'm just going to take every job yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I've, I've got to keep a roof over my head and all of that. And that scarcity mentality as opposed to really aligning with true intention of, no, I want to be more aligned with my work, my body of work, my legacy of work, what that's going to look like and, and what that work means to me, who I'm designing for, what I'm designing I think that's so important and what a gift that you've been able to do that and really stay true to your core values. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Do you still work with, uh, I hate using the term X cause I feel yeah. like that's, we've all been there and we're all family, right? Yeah. And you have children together and all that, but do you still work with Ariana? You know, we've been divorced now for a little over five years and for the first couple of years, you know, we, we did not work together because I mean, even though we've, done, you know, some extraordinary projects together. And, you know, it was the the working and the living together and, you know, the raising kids and all of that, that, you know, a lot of pressure. I mean, all of that has been, has been wonderful. And I'm so grateful, you know, for the life that we both had together. But yeah, so recently we started working together. Again, we've got that project in Smithcliffs. And she brought those clients to us because they wanted something that kind of represented their interest in, in, you know, organic, you know, soft, you know, sculptural architecture. So we have that one together and, we, and we'll probably do more, you know, in the, in the future, you know, we, we've kind of, we're learning to work together again, you know, in a creative and productive. That's beautiful. You mentioned going through that phase of life where you're raising kids and building a business. That's all very challenging. What would you consider your biggest challenge that you're facing in your business right now? And how are you tackling it? Yeah, that's such a great question. You're like, I have no challenge. I was swimming this afternoon. Yeah. You guys made me come to the office. <laughs> no, that's a really great question. I mean, you know, 
the financial challenges of, of having a business, having a house under construction, you know, especially on my own as a, as a single man is a challenge because I have to be careful because I love design and I love architecture, but I also need to make sure that, you know, my contracts are tight, you know, we're getting compensated, you know, properly. And, and, and that's actually kind of resolved itself to a certain point. Yeah, I think that's the biggest challenge is you have a practice, you've got like office of like a half dozen people and we all have kids and commitments and things like that. So as much as we love the creative side, it also has to work, you know, financially as well. You know, you have to, you know, find, be, be selective, find, you know, good people you know, to work with. I mean, the good thing is that, you know, good people are finding us, you know, and because they, they've seen the work and, you know, and, you know we share a, a common interest in design and architecture. Like me showing up on your doorstep. Pick me, pick me. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I do love the collaborative process too. Because architecture, I've never considered it to be something that one person is like this iconoclastic, you know, image of the like Howard Rourke and the fountainhead, you know, you know, you know for me, it's always, been a, it's always been a collaborative process. And when I find somebody to collaborate with that maybe takes the initial design and you know, add something to it which is complementary and maybe unfore- you know unforeseen or unpredicted. Nothing feels better than you know to have the wind behind your sails by you know in, in that context. Yeah. Well, it just elevates your work. Yeah. So I feel like we're big fans of the mastermind approach. So when you have that mastermind approach where you're bringing different ideas and you know, some work and some don't, but I think it really provides the optimum product for the client, and that's what we're all after, right? Yeah. I think for us, the values of our business are about collaboration and then, you know, working as a team and then knowing we have each other's back to get that optimum result for the client. And I think once you find that with different people, it's just, it's hard to pass up. Yeah, absolutely. So in your opinion, what is the most important personality trait or strength that someone would need to be successful as an architect? It's such an interesting question. And, you know, what came up for me as I was listening to your words is being able to disagree without being disagreeable, you know, being able to express your ideas, share them with other people, people you're collaborating with, you know, your clients, but, you know, do it in a way where there's, you know, there's a sense of partnership and we're all kind of in, the, you know, we're, we're collaborating, mm-hmm. you know, you know, once again, it's not the Howard Rourke, you know, role model. Yeah, or even, you know, presenting projects to the design review board here in Laguna Beach, you're going to get people, you know, or any design review board or any homeowners association, you're going to get people. Not any, they're not all like Laguna Beach, let's be real. they're not. I mean, even (laughs) this one in Smithcliffs, you know, we, you know, got a letter of rejection, people telling us it wasn't compatible with the the understated traditional homes and, and Smithcliffs, and it, you know, kind of breaks your heart when you get letters like that. And for the listeners out there, we're in Horse Office downtown Laguna Beach today, and he's pointing out some projects that he's working on. So we'll post those on our website Mm. once this airs. Yeah. Like this project, for example, after we got this letter of rejection, the first thing I did is I sent letters out to the 18 property owners in Smithcliffs and asked them if they'd be willing to meet with us so I can share the design with them. And you know, about a half dozen of those people agree to, and they all, once they had more information and they can engage in the, in the conversation with me and understood, you know, more about this project, they were willing to support us. So, so did you get fun. approval? 
No, we're still working on that. <laughs> just, there's a couple beach. more people I have to um, <laughs> convince, and one of them is Gary Brenderson, who was the developer of Smithcliffs, who sent me a letter through his assistant that he is definitely not in support of this project. And then when I did some uh, research on him and you know uh, how he developed Smithcliffs, one of the things that 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 he kept on saying during that time was that what distinguishes Smithcliffs from other communities along the coast is its sense of um, architectural diversity. <laughs> so like, I, I very like, you know, I've reminded him of that. Right, exactly. <laughs> in, a, in a respectful way. I'm uh, actually living down or up that way right now because I, too, we've talked about this before, but I'm working on my own house building it. So same, we're in the same boat a little bit, trying to yeah. get through planning, permitting, and building a house. And uh, it's a lot in running a business. But yeah. Laguna Beach can be interesting, but for the same reasons that we love it, you know, we want to keep yeah. the integrity of Laguna and I'm, I'm right there. I'm curious what your experience yeah, was no, like on the board. Such an interesting question because as much as I love doing new houses and, you know, modern houses, we also do historic preservation projects. We don't get a lot of those, mm -hmm. but I've done over the years, maybe a dozen. I think there's a, you know, a responsibility and an opportunity to preserve, you know, I mean, there's, especially North Laguna, there's so many beautiful cottages and I've, you know, worked on restoring some of those. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. And I think in some ways it, you know, maybe balances out the gift that we're given to be able to do new houses or, or new buildings. So we're kind of balancing between new, you know, new development and preserving, you know, what's existing. If there's an opportunity to preserve something, you know, that's where I would like to go. That's to what I'm trying to do with my house. I think I told you I'm, I'm, well, actually I'm down on Eagle Rock Way, the house that I'm remodeling, which isn't, I think, where you used to live. It is. And so, yes, I'm in the process of trying, I don't want to knock it down. I want to try to preserve it, but I also want to modernize it at the same time. Yeah. So there's a lot of rich history with this house. Apparently it was built in 1938, so the records show, but the neighbors seem to think it was earlier. I guess it was one of Timothy Leary's drug houses. Oh, okay. And okay. I think Kenny Loggins used to live in the basement. So there's a lot of fun stories here. So it's a house that I definitely don't, and I wouldn't want to architecturally tear it down anyway. Yes. I just think it's, it's a magical little house. So, you know, of course I would like a nice, much more modern house, but that might be the next one. This one, yes. I'm going to try to keep the integrity of the house that's there, but modernize it in a way that makes it a, a new version of a beach house. Yeah, that sounds lovely. Yeah. yeah. What is a common myth about your job or field of expertise? The actual amount of time that we spend designing something, you know, relative to the overall hours that go into a project, it's just a fraction of the time that we're actually designing. You know, it, here in Laguna Beach, for example, so much of what we do is trying to, you know, navigate these projects through the city process, through the neighborhood, you know, the community activity and everything to get these projects built. And now, you know, with the pandemic and people working from home and there's a lot of confusion at these different municipalities, it takes a lot of, you know, work and staying on top of it. Because a lot of these clients that are building you know, these, these houses in Laguna, they have resources 
And, you know, with that comes options to do other things, you know, and and if if they don't feel like their project is moving forward, it's, you know, gaining some critical mass, it's going to be approved, you know, they'll move on to something else. And then, you know, we as architects and designers, you know, we lose the opportunity to have, you know, to have our projects realized. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so much of it is just, is that, you know, I love doing that part of it because it's a necessity, yeah, you know, and and it, it it actually is an art form all of itself, really. You know, being able to work with neighbors and design review boards and HOA, you know, community associations. It's a good life lesson to be able to like interact with you know people at that level. And you've been doing it here in Laguna for so long. You know, you are so admired, and like we said early on, you're kind of legendary here in the town. So it must be at some point a little bit easier for you to navigate the system yeah, that's than the rest of us. Yeah, most of my like when I get new clients, they always say, "Well, you were on the design review board. This should be no problem, you know, for you to get this through." And I always tell them, "Yeah, yeah, but you know, they don't. <laughs> the board doesn't really do me any favors. I mean, the best thing that I can offer like a client is that you know." I have had the experience of sitting on the design review board and being chairman for a couple of years. So I can, I can see a project from that perspective, from the other side of the desk, which I think is a, is a useful perspective mm-hmm. to have. Is it true that the architects and designers and anyone in the field are not allowed on the board anymore? You know, you know, there's no official policy against that. But when I was on the design review board, the majority of the board members were architects and then for about like the last 20 years, there's been very few architects. And I believe, you know, sort of the subtext of that is that, you know, architects go on the board just to kind of- Grease the wheels. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. You know, that they, you know, they have ulterior motives and that they're, you know, self-interested. But I didn't meet architects like that. The architects I met on the the design review board were uh, people who were genuinely concerned and had passion for how the community develops. And, you know, here in Laguna, being on the design review board, you have an amazing opportunity to, you know, sort of control how the community evolves. You know, and the communities will always evolve, that invariably evolve. But especially in Laguna, if we can control that to make it incrementally so in the process of evolution we we're not giving up you know the things that are intrinsic you know to creating a sense of community and that's what the design review board does and i would say right now you know we have probably the best design review board we ever had and what i mean by the best is they're open-minded to modern architecture as well we've had sort of the last 20 years of, of of a design review board that is you know, predominantly in favor of cottages, mm. you know, rather than, you know, modern architecture. So that's good to hear since my house is yeah. next on the docket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that you're an avid reader and that's mm. part of how you stay kind of hip to the scene. What are one or two books that you would recommend to our audience and why? Yeah, that's a great question. I do love reading. It really is one of my favorite things. So recently I read a book called The Glass Room by Simon Maurer, M-A-H-E-R. He's an English writer. And The Glass Room was based upon a house that Mies van der Rohe designed for a a wealthy family, a young family from Czechoslovakia right before World War II. They were a Jewish family. And so eventually when the Czech Republic or what is now the Czech Republic was invaded, you know, by um, the Nazis, they had to leave the country. So they never saw the house finished. 
And it was only, I think like 50 years later, when the matriarch of the family that was, she was living in America actually went back and saw the house for the first time. Wow. But it, I mean, it was one of the most beautiful modern houses and Mies van der Rohe was, you know, he was kind of in his early days as an architect. He was young and he had a lot of ambition. And he designed a house that's really described in a very extraordinary way that was so much a part of this family's, you know, cultural background. It was inspired by by the site and by, you know, the culture and architecture was changing then. And there was, you know, there was significant, you know, cultural and social change going on. There was the, everybody could feel the impending sense of war, you know, so it was very, you know, a very dramatic time. So yeah, the, the Glass Room by Simon Maurer. I love that. I'm getting uh, chills with you talking about my family's Czechoslovakia. Oh, okay. So I feel like I uh, I need to read that. That house still exists. I think it's in Brun, which I think it's B-R-N-O, Bruno maybe, possibly. But um, yeah, that Mies van der house has been renovated and still exists. And then I I, I love books on spiritualism. I mean, recently I read um, The Untethered Soul by um, by, by Michael Singer, I believe. You know, it, it talks a lot about the voice that we have, you know, ever present, you know, within us speaking to us and it's speaking to us in terms of our past experiences. And it can, if we listen too much to that voice, it can preclude us from, you know, being present in the moment and, you know, having a, a fresh interpretation of what's happening around us because that voice is so rooted in the past and, and can be very, you know, critical as well. And I just love that book, you know, I love that book because it has so much to do with the creative process. You want to be with each project on a, on a different journey. You know, you don't, you don't want to be tethered to what you've done in the past. Exactly. Moving forward, you know, creatively, spiritually. That's exactly how we try to think about it. From a, I always say, no matter how, what project we're working on, how large or small, it's always about the spiritual connection to the property. And you and I have talked yeah. about having shamans in our house, mm. and there really it is about the intention. And never want, and creatively, I just never want to repeat something I've already done. I mean, not only is it boring, but it's every client, every property site, every thing is so different that we really want to bring out the best of whatever that is. Yeah, I do think about that a lot. I was asking myself, you know, have I gotten to know this client to the extent that it's it's possible? Have I understood, you know, the site? Have I, you know, pursued my intuition and, you know, you know, my creative intuition? You know, have I, you know, embarked on that journey? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's always a question. It's so beautiful, though. I'm curious, what is one question that I haven't asked you today that you wish I'd asked and how would you have responded? <laughs> oh, it's interesting because I, you know, once again, I'm just going to be intuitive. You know, as you asked that question, I realized, you know, the impact that music has had on my architecture. You know, I, I loved music growing up. I haven't really talked too much about, I still play my saxophone here in the studio. So if you're ever walking down Forest Avenue and you hear like what sounds like a dog barking or something, that would be me on the saxophone. But I mean, I love music and music more than anything has informed my architecture. Architecture has been described as frozen music. As we look at a work of architecture, we have rhythm and harmony, sometimes disharmony. We have proportion, we have, you know, color, texture, all those things, you know, when you 
blow a note on a saxophone, you're releasing color and texture and, you know, into the air. You know, when I look back on this journey of architecture, um, so many things, you know, have been influential, but music, you know, more than anything else, I think has played such a significant role, you know, in my architecture. It, it's also encouraged me to be abstract in my thinking, you know, rather than literal. Designing buildings that are abstract and that, you know, are evocative of, of place and, you know, culture and personality rather than reverting to like themed architecture. Well, it's got to be Italian or it's going to be Cape Cod or whatever. I've always been much more interested in the abstract approach to architecture and design. I love that. So we're kind of wrapping it up here towards the end, but I do want to ask you just a couple rapid fire questions. I do love that that was your last uh, question. That is, an, and oftentimes I do ask that question. If you weren't an architect, what else would you do? Yeah. So I love that. I also am a big music lover, so I think it, it's so important. You know, even with what we do with our well spaces, with design with purpose, we bring in music and art and architecture and design and all the different sensories to help create these well spaces for kids. So I love that you understand the connection between the two and explained it so eloquently. Thank you for doing that. Thank you. We're downtown Laguna. I mentioned today with Horace at his office. We've got the windows open so we can hear all the hustling and the bustling of the cars and the construction and everything that goes on in Laguna. But I think it's kind of cool. I like it today. I like it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So... Before I get into my rapid fire with Horace, did you have any other questions for? Yeah, so there's one thing that I definitely wanted to talk to you about before we uh, wrap it up here. And I was on your website and I saw that you had some prefabricated homes called the Mod 4. Yeah. And they just caught my attention because they're so cool. They look almost like spaceships. And, <laughs> it, you know, it looks like something you'd find in uh, Uluwatu and Bali on the beach. So uh, are you still building those? Like, what's going on with that? Because that's so cool. Wow, thanks for asking. That That is one of my favorite projects. It, probably about like 10 years ago, that was in Tahiti. It was like my third time surfing in Tahiti. There was a French guy over there with his girlfriend. He had this like this sort of structure that was just floating on the water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'd go out and surf together and I'd, I'd see him come home at, at night. You know, I said to myself, you know what? I mean, there's got to be a way to create like a tropical prefab, like something that you could ship in a box and you could drop in by helicopter, you could drop in by boat, you know, maybe... You know, a couple of construction workers could assemble it in a couple of weekends and it could be, you know, very cost efficient and most importantly, sustainable and, and respectful of the land. So as you you know, probably noticed, the structure is, is sitting up on like four concrete columns. Yeah. And that allows you know, the structure to have minimal surface contact with the topography. So we're not, you know, we're not changing the natural topography very much. And then also in case there's a, a flood or, you know, um, high surf. raising of the water or high surf or something, it's also protected. And then there's a ladder that drops down. So when you're not using it, you can, you can secure it, you know, make it safe. It's kind of designed, it's a, in, in plan, it's a pinwheel so that each of the walls actually slide out. So it kind of opens like a camera aperture. So you 
can you can open it up completely the interior spaces or you can close it or you can do any combination so it's just it's, it's this sort of breathing thing yeah it was you know? so cool looking at it online i was like i have to talk to him about this and you know <laughs> my goal cool. and so i yeah i was in hawaii recently in northern maui i'm looking for a property where i could maybe build like three of those oh, and okay. have like a little eco resort to see if they become you know popular Colton's like, I'm on my way to Maui. Do you yeah, need to check that out for you? <laughs> yeah, I've been working with um, a friend of mine that's a prefabricated home builder, and we're, you know, getting all the specifications together. There's a chance I've been talking to a guy in town here that owns the uh, the mobile home park by Ruby's oh, yeah, on yeah, Coast yeah. Highway, mm-hmm. and he's going to give me some land where I can build a prototype because okay. I want to build a prototype so we can actually present it to people and kind of work out some of the bugs yeah it would be like in a 60 foot box dropped in by helicopter or boat and assembled maybe in two weeks That's and i'm so thinking cool. i'd like to keep it under one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. yeah i saw you know, that so and people I was like, can afford it yeah i was can like it's so affordable eagle rock way so i can live in it while my house is being yeah. built it's so cool that it's raised too because like there's so much flooding going on right now i think in australia too so I mean, your home would be one of the homes that probably wouldn't have gotten destroyed in the flood. Or You know, all of the materials are sustainable. Like the walls are actually cementitious fiberboard. But in, in the renderings, we put like pond froths over the cementitious fiberboard. We're using steel. The whole roof is like photovoltaic panels. So it can generate its own, you know, electricity. So cool. Um, yeah, thank you. And and, and then on, on top of the kitchen, there's a sleeping loft underneath the high end of the roof. So it's one bedroom loft with a, a little place for living and eating and a, and a kitchen and a bathroom. It's I just like, can't wait to go in one. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have to build one together. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely, you know, once my house is finished, that, that's going to be my next big project. Cool. For sure. I can't wait. Yeah. I'm so yeah. glad we got to talk thank about it. Thank you for it. bringing that up. That's a such a great question that you yeah. dug so deeply into my website because that's kind of at the bottom of the website. Yeah, it's a yeah. usually way. that's where the good stuff is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's great, Colton. Mm-hmm. Let's go into the quick rapid okay. fire questions. Okay, these aren't quite as heavy as some of the other ones. Okay, so uh, what's your favorite color? Blue. That's easy. Mine too. What music do you listen to? I know you like jazz. Oh, I listen to... Um, if we turned on your music right now, what would we find? Oh, like Tinder Sticks or Chet Baker, nice. you know. Um, I'm pretty eclectic when it comes to music, but I, I tend to like ambient music a lot, you know. Harold Budd, Brian Eno. Nice. Uh, yeah. What's your guilty pleasure? <laughs> Oh, um, you know, I like it. I like to have a cocktail in the evening for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing guilty about that. Yeah. yeah. What's that cocktail? Well, I like a Boulevardier. I make it myself. It's vermouth and it's bourbon and Campari and a slice of lemon. And then like, it's just bliss. Okay. <laughs> Whichever one of us gets our house built first, yeah. we will have a celebratory <laughs> drink. Yeah, absolutely. What's your favorite go-to snack? You know, I like pistachios. You know, I'm actually type one diabetic, so I'm really careful when it comes to my diet. I try to like, you know, really minimize my sugar intake. I do love pistachios. I also love fruit. I'm crazy for fruit. I love, you know, I love blueberries and strawberries, kiwis, lychee. <laughs> I do love fruit. Yeah. Any favorite TV shows? 
I actually, my favorite show that I've watched recently was um, Big Little Lies. Oh, yeah, so yeah, good. Yeah, I thought that was fantastic. I love that. I wanted it to come back. I, I did guess, too. I guess it's over. I just fell in love with the characters. It was so well done. The Kominsky method. Yes. Is the, Michael Douglas plays an acting coach. Yes. With Alan Arkin. It's it's really, actually, Louis D'Esposito, my client that is the president of Marvel Studios, introduced me to the show. Actually, he had me talk to Michael Douglas on his phone, and Michael Douglas <laughs> introduced me to the show. Nice. That's so one I'm way. I'm not name dropping. It's just funny. No, it was, we like it. Was it was funny. It's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I'd watch a show if Michael Douglas told me to watch it. For yeah, sure. For, yeah, I was very interested. <laughs> What's your favorite movie? doesn't have to be a Michael oh, Douglas movie. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Cinema, Cinema Paradiso or Il Postino, those are my two all-time favorite movies, Italian films that are both, you know, very intimate. Il Postino is actually set around um, the Chilean poet Pablo Neruda, who was exiled and he was living in Italy. And there was a, um, a young postal guy that was delivering his mail that was in love with like the village beauty, but he was way too shy, you know, to ask her, you know, to go on a date or anything. So Neruda actually helps him, you know, to sort of, you know, court this, this young woman. He's talking to her like outside of her window. He's like looking up at her, she's in her window. And then Neruda's like off to the side in the bushes, you know, like giving him like poetry and songs to sing to her. How sweet. Yeah, it's beautiful. We need to watch that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, Il Postino. So where are you heading next? That's what we want to know. Oh, yeah, you know, I have this plan where I'm gonna finish my house and then I'm gonna rent it maybe for two or three months out of the year, maybe in the summer, maybe different parts of the year. And what I wanna do during that time is I wanna go live in Rome or go live in London or you know, live in Paris for a month and bring a project with me and see how these different locations um, you know, inform my projects, my creativity. I love that. Yeah, yeah. You know, my kids are in college, I'm single, I'm at that point in my life, you know, where I, I, I'm doing what I really love and I want to, you know, create the best context, you know, to, you know, continue to do that. And I think travel will have a lot to do with it in the future. That's so great. I love that. That's, that's up next on my agenda too. Not quite yet, but the goal is to, that's part of having an ADU and I can rent that out and then travel you know, to Sweden and Italy and wherever. Yes. So I think it influences, travel influences design and architecture so much that it's just priceless. You can't put a price on that. You know, when we used to go to Italy in the summer, when our, our kids were growing up, we'd go for like a month or six weeks. And I always came back from that experience with a, a renewed desire to like jump back into the work, you know, just feeling, you know, rejuvenated and refreshed and, you know, having fallen in love again with, you know, with what we do. So, you know, that's my aspiration to you know, travel more in the future. And especially now that we're hopefully at the end of this pandemic, it'd be great to get back into travel. For sure, yeah. for sure. And how can people get in contact with you? How can they connect? Wow, you know, I don't know a lot about social media, although we do have a site. So um, they can email me, horst at horst dash architects.com or, you know, reach out on, on Instagram or whatever else is out there. You know, I'm, I'm sure we're out there. Great. And Colton things. can put all those links on our website or yeah. on our Instagram and share them with the 
yeah. the masses. I'm on it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And I, you know, and and I love you know meeting people who are you know creative and who are passionate about what they do. And so I I invite people to contact me. Great. We appreciate that. Thanks so much for sharing all of this today. It was really insightful. We we really are honored to be chatting with you. And I feel like we learned some stuff. That was one of the most interesting uh, interviews I think I've ever been a part of. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> of course. You know, it, it's interesting, too, because when you, you know, for me, it was, it was kind of an opportunity to to almost like travel back, you know, backwards in the, in this journey and, and kind of touch on some of those key elements along the way that we don't, we don't always, you know, we, we rarely get that opportunity. So I thank you both very much as well. Yeah. yeah thank really you for sharing. Fun. We appreciate good, it. Good stuff. All right. Well, we might have to have a follow-up interview with you someday. So stay tuned. You'll, you'll have to come to Tuscany then. <laughs> <laughs>